I'm Anne, co-host of Transparency in Teaching, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to Black, Brown, and Bilingual, where our mission is to unite the black and brown communities through education, storytelling, and community engagement. The vision of Black, Brown, and Bilingue is to be part of creating a world in which Black and Brown identities are affirmed, bilingualism and biculturalism are nurtured, and equity is the driving force behind all that we do. Thank you for joining us again today. I am Lisette Jacobson, and I am one of your hosts. And I'm Maurice McDavid. I'm your other host. Men, right, benefit from a world where the men are in charge even though that world might be against our people as a whole, right? We talked about code switching on a show recently, walking into these spaces where it's more acceptable to speak the way that all of us speak and not to, uh, what was the word you used, Rams? Jive? Oh, talking jive. That's a talking jive. That's that's an old way of describing basically, yeah. You know what I mean? So it's, uh, again, it's hard to break (laughs) away from the things that divide us because we've been taught that they are to our benefit. Yeah. You, you know, uh, I'm going to reference a very current news story. Um, and I, I was talking with my wife about it this morning, and I was, I was just kind of talking about how this system does still impact all of us, right? Um, there was, unfortunately, it sounds about a week ago, um, so basically in early January, there was a shooting of a, of a Black male teenager, and the news said they do not believe that there's that that uh, it was racially charged because the shooter was also black. The shooter thought that the black teenager was breaking into cars, pulled a weapon, discharged the weapon. Mm, I think we thirteen-year-old lost their life. Mm-hmm. And 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 I ref- I pointed out this morning. I said it is still racially charged. Absolutely, because even as black men we've been taught about one another yeah that 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 i'm quicker to trust somebody it breaks my heart to even say it y'all like i'm i'm saying because it's real tears on the radio the other day and i'm finna i'm finna cry on this podcast because it breaks my heart to think that that somewhere along the lines i have been i've placed in my had placed in my subconscious that if i saw y'all brothers walking down the street that my first thought would be something other than that's my brother. Yeah. Right. Like if it's a dark night and we're, and and that we may think that way about one another because we have too been programmed. If, and, and if we allow the program to just run, then we pull a weapon on a 13 year old kid that looks like us. Yeah. And that's unfortunately all of us have been impacted by it. We've talked about that on the show. One of the things that, um, one of the things that I do is I compare 
situations like that to um africa proper right um do black people just act a certain way or is this something does this have something to do with black people in america um I use that to break down stereotypes, you know, for a very long time. And I think in some circles, there is a stereotype that black men don't take care of our, our children. When in fact, the opposite is true. Uh, we are the, the most dream opposite is true. Yeah, We are the yeah. most involved uh, parents of any race, according to the CDC study in uh, 2014, um, which is something that in, in our circles, we kind of knew, but, you know, let media tell it, you know, every single talking head pundit, you know, elected officials like, well, black people need to take care of their kids. Black men need to stay in the, you know, and that's just, we, we needed to trick the welfare system because we needed some more bread, basically, long and short. I mean, it's a lot more nuanced than that, but, you know, the marriage rates and all kinds of stuff like that, that people would point to to try to, you know, suggest that there's a breakdown in, um, you know, the black family structure or anything. You know, when you take that and you compare it to Africa, and you realize, well, wait a minute, this isn't a black thing because those societies are just fine. This is a societal thing, right? And so I think that when when you hold Africa up as a mirror, it really helps you to see um, how much of what we're fed is true and valid and how much is uh has has been uh, how much we've been influenced by. Uh, invisible forces that create, you know, uh, from, you know, white supremacist ideals and institutions and so forth, the, the waves, the invisible waves that permeate and make their way to our, our subconscious and our psyche. If Black men in Africa walk down the street at night with other Black men there, and everyone's Black. So, was, you know, there is no such thing as others right mm -hmm. but in this society we often enough are the others and funnily enough we've been taught that about ourselves and and crazily enough i believe a lot of us are even aware of it you know we did an episode um, maybe this was a while ago but we did an episode about what it's like to be a black man walking down the street where there's a white woman walking down the street and how terrifying that is because if that white woman feels a little bit scared it's curtains for me so let oh, me walk yeah. to the other side of the street so she doesn't have nothing to worry about because I don't need no funk right so even <laughs> we're taught that we're the bad guy in the story you know what I mean yeah. and she's you know just as well, not in this society. White women are hardly as culpable as anyone else. Um, the blonder and the younger they are, often enough, they don't really have to deal with any consequences. But you get you get what I'm saying. So I I, I tend to use Africa as as the uh, the mirror. Yes. Love that. I love that. Yeah, you know. So Maurice and I are educators. Uh, in your growing up in school, did you feel like did you have teachers of color? Did you feel like you were in a um, diverse setting. How did that impact you? Because my the teachers that stood out to me the most happened to be black because I never had any Hispanic um, teachers. And so for me, like I knew I wasn't black, but I knew they weren't white. And right. so I like very easily was able to connect with them, and they became my favorite educators. Um, but then Maurice, on the other hand, didn't have a black male educator until um, twenty one. Yeah, 21. Yep. It was 21. Wow. And so, you know, what was that schooling experience like for you? 
Uh, for me personally, I had a very, very unique uh, education foundation. I grew up in Detroit, Michigan, where every classmate I had from preschool to high school graduation was black. Wow. But my teachers were very diverse. I had black, Asian, Hispanic, and white teachers, male and female, um, from the very start all the way to the very end. And those teachers worked and lived in the same community as me. So ironically, the only people that I ever interacted with that weren't black were teachers. But this was from a time where teachers and parents were more on the same page. Yeah. Like I couldn't come home and badmouth my teacher to my mom. Even if my mom maybe went back up to the school to have whatever conversation she needed to have with the teacher separate from me, in front of me, they were a team. It created a different level of respect for your educators when you knew that your mom and your first grade teacher were a tandem and you're not about to pull one over on the other. <laughs> I see, right. you know, parents fighting teachers because their kids said the teacher said this. And I think the way that it's handled sometimes is a bit problematic. But um, yeah, the, the, the first time I had classmates or peers that were different or other was college and that wow. that experience is a, that experience is an entirely different story Ramses has heard it many times but that's when things got really really interesting for me um Ramses growing up in Compton I think was yeah so for me is is a little different um you know my uh, kindergarten teacher one of the, the the things I remember uh about her is that we had to call her maestra right so um, that was uh, the first teacher I can remember having. Um, but yeah, I had a, I had a pretty diverse array of of teachers. But you know, I I mostly grew up in Arizona. So um, yeah, most of my teachers were not black. Most of them were either white or uh, to a lesser degree Hispanic. Um, but there were some, you know. So it wasn't. I didn't have. Um, but let me say this too. Um, teaching teachers in a, in the traditional sense, like educational sense, um, that's that's one form of teaching. But my background, like my my earliest teachers, was like my father and my grandmother. You know, I know mm -hmm. Q will say his mother. And uh, one thing that we have in common, both Q and I, is his mother was a pastor, is a pastor, and my father was a pastor. Um, uh, that's what his life was. Um, my father was a very educated man um, and uh, a profound thinker and a great orator. And I mm -hmm. hope that I'm doing right by him carrying on his tradition. Yes, uh, but, you know, that's the educator that had the most influence on me. That's the person that I didn't want to disappoint him. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. he was the happiest. He he was the person I wanted to be the happiest and he was the happiest and he was the guy that could pick me up in the air, you know, that sort of thing. And so, yeah, um, yeah I've had, I've had a, a good number of teachers. I myself have been an, a teacher. Um, and so I, I recognize the impact that saying, this might be a little weird and I hope that it's well received here, but the impact of saying I love you on the first day to a classroom full of students um, and giving them my personal phone number and saying you call me if you need me, um, mm. what that does to to a classroom full of students. So um, yeah. shout out. I love that. Can, can I add to So now my next question is like, 
did you feel like you were reflected in the curriculum and do you think it was taught well? Because I have also a comment that I don't know if it's controversial or not, but like, I don't know how I feel about some of the things we do around Black History Month or, or what we teach no. just Black history in general, because none of us are well-equipped. And I even had, you know, Black colleagues who are like, I've had to do so much learning for myself to even be able to do the content any sort of justice, right? Like, sure. as a Mexican, there is nothing. up Chavez was maybe if we were lucky, but that's it. So, like, did you feel like it was well done? And, yeah. Um, my my experience, the life teaching was well done, right? I had teachers who called me son, who developed relationships with my mom and who I called pops and mom and auntie from very little to this day. They still message me on Facebook. My high school principal follows me on every social media. Aww. Every time Ramses and I do something, she's posting it everywhere because she's so proud because I'm one of hers to her. So the life teaching part, they did very. <laughs> oh, come on. The life teaching part, <laughs> they did very well because they took it. They took our post-secondary education, our post-school life very serious. We don't want you to go out and become, because again, I grew up in Detroit. A lot right. of the stuff that you saw on the news was slanted negative, but it was still true, right? Like, I had I, I went back to bury classmates my freshman year of college. You know what I mean? Like the, the the stories that you hear in that kind of narrative, part of it is based in fact. It was a very, very dangerous place. But if you meet people from Detroit, there's no prouder people in the world to be from nah, anywhere. There is not. There are yeah. no prouder people in the world <laughs> to be from anywhere than people who grew up in Detroit, Michigan. So my teachers did a very, very good job at the life teaching part. The black history and the education part, you can only use the tools you have, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Like white people created the history that they teach in the schools in this country. So it's going to be very, very limited with regards to what you and I get about our mm -hmm. culture prior to, you know, immigration to this to this country. And in our case, you know, the transatlantic slave movement, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's history be before that kind of doesn't exist for us. And I, I have a very kind of embarrassing story I told Ramdas I, I lived in Spain for a minute and when I got back I couldn't wait to tell him this story because no one would feel it more than Ramses I'm sitting down having dinner with some colleagues in in Spain and one of the guys asked me where I was from and as usual I very very proudly told him Detroit the motor you know what I'm saying? The motor, Motown. <laughs> Seven mile road to be specific. You guys saw the movie Eight Mile? I yeah. grew up a mile south of Eight Mile, right? Wow. So very, very proudly Detroit, Michigan. And this young man must have been confused because he had no idea what I meant by that response. And he's like, no, 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 no. Like, where, where are your parents from? I'm like, oh, Georgia, like Atlanta. My mom's from Macon, like 90 miles south of Atlanta, but I'm still talking about a city in the United States, which has confused this man even more, right? He's shaking his head and he starts to rub his skin. He says, no, where is this from? Mm. The most embarrassing moment of my adult life, because I could provide nothing in the way of an answer for him. And that's the truth for most Americans here. Even if you learn about the history of how people from Africa got here, 
or how Aboriginal people were pushed off of this land and how all of these states were then created for the benefit of the colonizers that came over, raped, ravaged, pillaged, murdered, and then resettled a land that wasn't theirs and profited heavily from free labor. And, you know, we can go on and on. It leaves you in a very, very troubling space where you can't go back beyond the ancestors that lived here and had their names, their culture, their heritage, and their family stripped away from them. And for a lot of people, I, I want to say this, and I say it as often as I can, but it's really hard to learn how to be proud of the little bit of history that you have. Um, we do a good job of it, I think. We do a good job of it. We try. Yeah. Um, I think the Black people, we we know what it what it means to be proud of who we are and, and proud of where we come from. But if you think about it, you recognize straight away, it's glaringly obvious that there is no dignity in, okay, well, if I, my, my grandma was a sharecropper and then my grand, her granddad was a slave and then his, his mom was a slave and it was slave, slave, and slave, it. slave. And then they, they, you know, and then it gets a little funny because of the records and you're like, yeah, that's, and then, you know, your friend Scotty's like, yeah, well, you know, my grandfather came over on the Mayflower and then, you know, he was in politics and then, then we moved to, you know, New England. And there were explorers making yeah, all like, these you know, and it's like, man, that's what's up, man. And, and, and you're not mad at these people. You're like, man, that's dope, you know? And then then they talk to you. It's like, well, yeah, I, I mean, my dad, he he did something that was cool, you know? And outside of that, it's like, you know, it gets, it gets real dark real early in the, you know, or yeah, I guess real recently. So yeah. Yeah, when you go back. So one time teaching a Cesar Chavez lesson because that's all I knew at the time, eighth grade. And my students literally were sinking in their seats because they were seeing the migrant workers out in the field. And I asked them, like, you guys are not liking this. And they were like, we don't want to see that. And here I was thinking, you know, I'm going to show them, you know, our contributions. But it was that dignity piece that I hadn't thought about. Mm -hmm. That was everything. And they weren't feeling any sense of pride. And, and I, you know, Maurice and I have talked about this, that looking back, I'm almost thankful that we were completely invisible from the curriculum because it wouldn't have been done well. And because we were invisible, it allows, I think, Mexican Americans or, or Latinos to just kind of move through life a little differently, where I mm -hmm. see Black children don't get that opportunity. And we do such a terrible job at teaching it. So, so this is the, Go ahead. This, I didn't I mean to cut you off. I'm so sorry. Oh, good. If I may. Okay. So this yeah. is the the little thin veneer of what's the word I want to use? Um validity which it's 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 not really valid but it's a little tiny veneer of of validity that people who argue against CRT or really American history have. Well, it, we don't want children to feel bad, right? And it's a, incredibly unfair in my estimation and you're educators, so I'm assuming that you kind of feel the same way. Um, children are a lot more robust than we're aware of. I never said in my conversation today with you that I wish I didn't learn my history. I never said I was ashamed of it. I said that there is no dignity in it, dignity in it but I'm grateful that I've been able to find a sense of pride um, because I can look 
in the span of one, two lifetimes and see real progress, right? And so, you know, you take it where you can get it. And I think, again, Black people, we've done a great job with this. But, you know, uh, you're absolutely right. If it's not taught the right way, Yes, absolutely. Children can be made to feel embarrassed or, you know, whatever. And, you know, uh, to your point, I've been doing my best, especially since being in this space. But um, I've been doing my best for the, the bigger part of my life, certainly my adult life, of learning the history of my brothers and sisters that I share this land with. You know, um, I want to take a moment and, and announce that we are... Uh, talking to you today from unceded ancestral lands of the Akima and O'odam peoples. Um, and this land that we're on also uh, was not always the United States of America. This once was the United States of Mexico. And so um, historically, this is, this is the lands of uh, my Hispanic brothers and sisters. With that in mind, I've done my best to learn the richness of their history too. Um, and the the profound um, contributions that they've made to these lands and the sophisticated societies that they built, the great thinkers, uh, the great explorers, the, the you know, the, the, the science and and so forth and so on, you know, that that, you know, the the colonists were able to to build on. Right. And yes, Spanish settlers came over and, you know, the history is what it is. And, and now um, our Mexican brothers and, and sisters speak Spanish. Um, but, you know, when you look at it for what it is and, and you can like we could drive and see these monuments, these pyramids, these carvings and that sort of stuff. And then you realize in short order that, yes, this is a lot. This is a lot deeper than uh, migrant workers. These, these aren't just people who pick strawberries and mm -hmm. clean houses and that sort of thing. These are rich people. And there might be something going on that has, uh, I want to be very careful and I say this, reduced some of these people to these jobs that now kind of define or kind of uh, carve out the stereotype that has been yes. popularized in American uh, culture. And so, yes, you're absolutely right. To show that one side um, to Hispanic children, um, if it's not done properly, it can be very, very uh, damaging. Fortunately, you are a, La a Latina woman, and A, you can recognize it, and B, you can add a lot more. You know, I, yeah. I, my assumption is that you know the richness of your history and the history of your beautiful yeah. people as well. And so um, this is something that I think that should also be at the center of these conversations about CRT or uh, American history, because in wow. fact, we do need to know where we come from, but we also need to have it fleshed out in its entirety. If you like this content, Maurice, can you let them know where they can follow? Sí, claro. Estamos en Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, todo el país. Todo el mundo. Todo el mundo. Are we all over the country? We all over the country. Before you move on from that topic, Ramos, because you uh, called out the argument that some make with regard to CRT, mm -hmm. they're not talking about the people being marginalized in the stories. They're talking about the people that are doing the marginalization. <laughs> yeah, they're talking about their kids feeling bad. They're yeah. not talking right. about us feeling bad. But, that's why I said, but, but there's a thin veneer because you know they they can't just when when they uh, 
you're absolutely right. I know that that's what they do. Yeah, I'm just pointing when, out that when, they're, they're not arguing that black people are going to learn about so, that stuff. And feel yes, bad. so Q is absolutely right. White children will learn about it and feel guilty. In practice, Q is absolutely right. That's 100% right. When I've seen these conversations with one person in particular, I'll name him Ron DeSantis in Florida, when he's mm. pressed about the issue, uh, what about, you know, black children and, and you know, children from other parts of the world that deserve to know their American history as well. That, uh, again, is a part of that thin veneer of, yeah. you know, uh, what he says to kind of keep, uh, I guess, his legislation compliant. But the fact is, in practice, you're absolutely right. It's it's meant to center white children um, once again, at the expense of everyone else. There's no reason that black children, brown children should grow up in a world uh, and look around and see everyone who looks like them being poor and thinking this is normal and this is their normal state and somehow equating it to their value and their sense mm -hmm. of self-worth without getting the full story, which is, listen, you belong here. This is where you come from. You're here because of artificial circumstances, influences, factors, et cetera. And uh, as artificial as they are, uh, they've been constructed and they can be deconstructed. And to give children that knowledge, it um, separates their reality from their value, in my belief, yes. their, their self-value, right? Hey, that, so that's it right there. I, I, I want to jump in here um, and... and, and do two things and i know we've kept you all brothers for a, a while now we appreciate it because this has been tremendous conversation i want to I, I say two things um real quick number one is um as a i, I taught middle school american history mm -hmm. and um one of the things that i have been intentional about doing is when it came time for conversations of slavery of of uh, segregation jim crow is we always talked about resistance right mm -hmm. and i think resistance is such an important piece because it demonstrates and this is the second thing i want to hit on is it demonstrates humanity mm -hmm. right and here's what i mean by that um i when we we um we in the past have done episodes and we've talked about some of these just incredibly powerful situations that have happened in the past, sad situations. So we're talking about Mike Brown um, and we're talking about whether you saw the image of Mike Brown in a cap and gown, having been a high school graduate mm -hmm. on his way to college, mm -hmm. or you saw him, you know, in a chain or, or, or smoking or something, you know, where they tried to make him out to be some type of criminal. Mm -hmm. The end result was that Mike Brown was an 18 year old human mm -hmm. whose life was lost, cut short, and so sometimes we try to add value or take away value by what people have done. And I want to just come back to this place where we recognize value of just Period. a living being, right? Like this is being, they're a human. And so when I talk about resistance when teaching history, one of the, one of the pieces of that is that no human is going to sit around and just take mistreatment. It's unhuman to do that, right? As humans, we find ways to resist, whether it be by spilling the cotton in the cotton field, oh, my bad, mm. or whether it be by having love anyways, having joy anyways, right? And so that's one of the things, when I think about Black history I, 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 uh, here in the Americas, I know that there is so much that we can look at and be sad about, but I also love the resiliency of our people that I think still shines through 
today. And so I think that that is is incredibly important. And it leads me to kind of this final question I want to ask you all. Mm -hmm. um, I, I was listening to Reveal. It's a NPR podcast. They were talking about Black Twitter and they were talking about the potential demise of Black Twitter with Elon Musk taking over. And so they were kind of talking about though how Twitter itself was kind of this foundation of the Black Lives Matter movement, Sure. right? That, that it started as this hashtag and it moved forward and that these conversations around Black Lives Matter was not isolating to say that only Black Lives Matter, but we recognize that in comparison to the expression white lives matter, I, and y'all knew where I was going, uh, uh, <laughs> in, in comparison to the expression white lives matter is very different. So I, I, I first heard of you all because they were like, hey, yo, Kanye tried to get white lives matter. Or, you know, that was the rumor mill, but that brother couldn't because these two guys own it. Can you just share with us? And I'm sure you've shared the story a hundred times since then, but can you share with us just a little bit and more, more than just the, the, the process, why is that important? Why was that something that was important to you all? Um, I'll speak a little bit about why that was important to us. And I'll, I'll let Ramses speak a, a little more with regard to the process. Um, I was very, very outspoken about our last president. Um, everything that he represented, I thought was vile, um, dangerous. Um, and a lot of those things, you know, very, very obviously racist, misogynistic, um, bigoted, like it, these things were very, very obvious. And because I was so outspoken about him, it introduced me to a side of quote unquote friends of mine that I wasn't really prepared to meet mm. and I did not know existed even. And I remember, uh, you know, Ramses is very liberal with regards to the block button on social media. Oh, yeah. yeah. Very, very liberal with yeah. regards to the block button. He, he's, he's found a way to express himself very colorfully with the ways that he can block people. I've never seen anything like his use of the block button. He's really tried to encourage me to be a bit more giving back to our people with the block button. It's effective. Um, so when I would come to him to complain about these things, he's like, bro, block them. But then we start to having some deeper conversations and he realized like, you know, recently he kind of apologized to me like, yo, yeah, one. I now realize the nuance that existed in these spaces with people that you actually care about being on the other sides of these arguments that seem so flagrantly obvious to be opposed to us and our children and our prosperity and our well-being. Uh, and a person whose kids I've held and, you know, who's come to support Ramses and I as DJs and come to events that we've thrown messaged me one day during that presidency. And, uh, you know, the former president hadn't had like retweeted or liked or spoke at something where the message was white power. And this white friend of mine was very confused as to why that upset me or why that triggered me. Like you guys say black power all the time. What's the difference? And that was like the spark of a conversation that needed to happen, right? White power, very much like white lives matter, was not created to reassure, reaffirm, unite, support, or lift up a group of marginalized people. Right. 
it was a battle cry to tear down, step on, marginalize, and belittle everyone that wasn't white, right? So realizing in that moment that this young man really didn't get it. He really didn't understand what, what was the big deal. Um, I was very much put into that place again. And what's ironic, I don't even know if I've ever said this to Ramses. The first time I was put into that place again was when I saw the post of him and that young lady wearing those shirts in Paris. Mm. I actually never seen or heard that term before. I hadn't seen it prior to that. I hadn't. I know that yeah, for you, it was it was much different. But the first time I kind of had that what response was when I saw that photo. And it was troubling because I was in the same space again. When you guys say that Black Lives Matter and White Lives Matter too. And it's like, yeah, sure. But you understand that's not what we're talking about, right? You understand that white people in the United States of America don't need to be reassured, reaffirmed, or reminded that they matter, right? Do you watch television? Do you read anything? And we're not picking teams. Is that like, but... It's not an us against them, right? Uh, I, I've heard this metaphor used, and to me, it's one of the most effective. We've heard others that are great, especially with regards to uh, animals. But this one was very, very simply. If your house caught on fire and you called the fire department, they would come to your house and put out the fire at your house. They would not retort to you that all houses matter. It doesn't make any sense. They're going to come put out the fire. Black Lives Matter was born not just out of pro protest, but out of a need to reaffirm to ourselves and that, to we're, everyone else. that we're worthy of being alive. Like you said, my brother, we're worthy of being alive that by itself should be enough. It should not matter if I'm a scholar or if right. I'm poor or if I'm rich or if I'm famous. I should be able to live and breathe. And it's funny because we haven't even argued that we should be able to prosper. We just want to be able to be alive. And even that in this country is controversial. You know, there's real quick, I mean, there's something that I, another one of these like mirrors that I hold up um to society often enough but you know in this conversation i'll i'll um, hold it up for our listeners for today's show uh every time you see a police video a police interacting with uh a black man is often enough this is these are the videos that become popularized but really any per any person any human being but black man in particular because a lot of times Again, we're taught to think criminal, he did it. When they say stop resisting, even if we see on camera that the person is not resisting, it tricks us into thinking, why doesn't he just stop resisting? You know what I mean? So now, um, next time you see a video, I want you to do me a big favor. This is me, Ramses, I'm talking to you, listening. Do me a favor, next time you see a video of a police or a group of police interacting with a black man, Use your imagination and imagine rather than it being a black man, imagine it being a dog and, and then ask yourself, do you feel upset? And wow. then when you inevitably say yes, ask yourself why you didn't feel that way when it was a black man. And I think that once you do that, you'll start to kind of understand the layers under which you've been buried and you're not alone. We've all been buried under those layers and Q and I have had to do some work for some years now 
to realize our own prejudices against our own people, to recognize that, um, you know, uh, a lot of truths that are very hard to come come to terms with, because you're absolutely right. If somebody's, you know, pepper spraying or tasing a dog <laughs> for running away, you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, you know, these sorts of things, you realize that anything with a nervous system is going to do one of two things when it's in panic mode, it's going to fight or it's going to flight, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's going to either run away or it's going to try to fight back. And these are, these are life and death limbic functions of your brain that uh, are there for the purpose of survival. It is a human condition and it is the condition of every mammal that you've ever seen, everything with a nervous system again. So um, uh, dogs are a great parallel because it forces you to ask yourself the question, are dogs more important to us than black men? And whatever your answer is, <laughs> you're left to ponder the why. It's a lot to reconcile. Yeah. Hmm. Yo, that that, that <laughs> yeah, is, that that's you speak about incredible. I, I yeah, trademark. Um, yeah, can we talk the trademark, please? Sure, sure. Um, so I, my understanding is that you wanted to just kind of know, um, the process of getting it trademarked or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I've we've learned this recently, um, but. You know, the process of getting a trademark is simply, uh, you know, you can do it yourself, but most folks will get a lawyer to to file a trademark for you. And how trademarks work is you can own language um, in certain sectors of commerce, right? Hmm. So let's say I work in retail and I trademark the name J.C. Penny. That means no one else can open a retail outlet with the name JCPenney or anything that mimics or resembles JCPenney, right? Mm -hmm. But if I wanted to come out with uh, a piano and call it the JCPenney piano, if they have not trademarked it in the, the arena of musical instruments, then that's fair game, right? Mm -hmm. um, and now that that's kind of a loose version of how it works. I would never trademark anything that's, you know, called JCPenney, but, you know, that's because <laughs> I probably have far reaching, you know, trademarks and lots of lawyers and, you know, it's the golden rule yeah. when it comes to this stuff, whoever has the gold makes the rules. So um, the long and the short of it is uh, for the uh, White Lives Matter trademark, one of our listeners of our show um, had the foresight to uh, uh, grab that trademark um, for uh clothing and trademark the, the the phrase white lives matter so that they would be the only person who could profit legally in the united states from clothing that had that mark had that phrase right um and that effectively pre prevents anyone else from doing it now fortunately this person who trademarked it had no intentions of profiting from a hateful phrase like that, a, a phrase that is intended uh, on its face to weaken and erode the momentum of the cry that we've all been crying out for years now, Black Lives Matter, mm -hmm. since 2012 when Trayvon Martin was killed. Um, so effectually, it was trademarked, from what I understand, and it was 
it was not intended to be profited from uh or the the, the intention i should say was not for the shirts to be uh, mass produced and sold you know because you have mm-hmm. to be really careful with how you describe this and i'm talking about another person here um so their intentions i don't know make, make sure i say that um this person then uh when all this stuff sorted started to kind of get a little bit bigger realized that they weren't in the best position to be the decider of how that mark should be used um and offered to transfer the mark to us um we've been working in this space uh we have obviously a nationally syndicated show where we talk about these issues every week and this is our only effort uh with the exception of the black information network daily podcast which is very similar in texture to what we do on civic cypher and then of course q um with hip-hop weekly um but this this show is is very singular in the space that we're in in hip-hop station and so forth so this person was a listener this person decided that we should probably be the people who to speak for this mark uh we had to sit with that and and decide whether or not that was something that that was not a simple conversation so one of the things that q knew is that and this is why it was was a tough call is is q knew that no matter what if we get this mark and do with it what we want to do with it which is let everybody know hey you don't have to worry about that hey we got some points on the board we 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 got one we this is for us because you got to remember at that time there it was like every three four days there was something else in the media where you know black people were just kind of taking l's every two or three days because of what a handful of individuals were doing um very powerful individuals in this country and it was very very hurtful time so our position was by doing this we can get some points on the board but um what i was saying is q mentioned when we were debating whether or not to do it that uh we're forever going to be associated with this mark and that's that's heavy right now if you google Mm -hmm. white lives matter guess what's the first thing you see this me and him you know what i mean and uh i think that we've managed to make it into a good thing it's it's a good story for anyone that chooses to read it um and of course it made national international news and so everybody who's familiar with the end of that white lives matter t-shirt era um uh, is 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 acquainted with the story and is vaguely familiar with the two of us and so it, it sort of worked out but um yeah, the long and the short of it was, you know, the trademarking that and then transferring the trademark to Civic Cipher LLC, which is our show, um, effectively prevented anyone else from profiting from that uh, in, the, in the arena of clothing in the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously, our intentions with the mark is to make sure that as little shirts are made and worn as possible um again we have to be very tricky with the language here because trademarks just so everyone knows you have to use your trademark in commerce in order for it to be valid otherwise it's vulnerable so technically speaking we have to use it but we don't have to be wildly successful or what wildly successful looks like oh, right, right. very different mm-hmm. for I us think su- yeah. supply chain issues i think yeah and there's a lot of stuff that could go wrong issues, and yeah. issues. Yeah. So, you got the pandemic like yeah. you, know, <laughs> you never know what the future we're up against a lot yeah so so again the language here we have to be very careful with but um 
you, you know what I'm saying. And so um, don't forget to tell them about the supply chain issues. Yeah, because those supply chain, man, that's that we're having, man. And these inflation the prices. I've heard that, that they're running low on the W's. And, and man. so they could, you could print the rest of the shirt. But yeah, you, I, we could w's. use M's. But they don't really look yeah, the same. Yeah, it's, it's just right. idolized. You know what I'm saying? And that's not really what was going for anyway. So it really didn't matter. But no, um, <laughs> the next step for us, um, our hope is that in short order, we will be able to share this mark in perpetuity with our people. Um, so and we won't get into specifics. Yeah, yeah. We, we can't. We can't. Um, there's there's some really exciting things coming things that we never would have thought were possible and uh it's it's that's literally just a waiting game for us and so you know stay tuned um the story's not over and and there's going to be some really awesome announcements coming um we have some other things that we're working on besides that mark uh and you know we're grateful for the response and we're using the response and the momentum to do more work with civic cipher more work in this space more work with the deib you know stuff and you know and earlier in the call you mentioned that um it's possible for people to get paid doing that and i didn't know that until this call it just never really occurred to me but um I, oh I yeah you're, been, you're missing out on a ton i mean you would be well so let me say this let me let me make sure i say this because you know talking about trademarks and things like this this is a these are foreign concepts to a lot of people and so they think that there's a lot of money involved um we've never gotten paid for this show we have a, a base of uh patreon people that you know i think we get i mean it's it's not a lot of money at all it kind of keeps the lights on if you will um not even yeah we this this show comes out of our cost us to do yeah this show. this show comes out of our pocket yeah um and uh the trademark stuff transferring assigning you know switching stuff over getting Paying new lawyers, lawyers all that sort of stuff yeah that cost us money so anybody yeah. thinking People that we profited some, like stroke of genius capitalistic move that we nah, made man, that's just we that's not it. cost us money so we're doing yeah. this out of you know what i'm saying so that's maybe one day we might actually be able to you know earn money doing something that we feel is very important and that we love the same as anyone else who's gainfully employed but um i don't want anyone to have to leave this conversation with the idea that we've been compensated yet for any of this stuff that is just not yeah. true so yeah. and we have yeah, the receipts so, <laughs> so we have lots of receipts and stuff. <laughs> hey, uh, so, yeah, yeah. You, you gotta live you gotta live so yeah oh we're, we're fine but you know yeah. getting paid for the work no right yeah. yeah we're we're very fortunate in that we can do the work um uh but you know I, we, this we, has not been a for-profit play for us no not at all right. and and anybody that wants to support if we may we'll we'll share our yeah. our details right now so if anybody That's wants to support us um, you can just go to civiccipher.com. Um, it's the conventional spelling, so no Y, C-I-V-I-C-C-I-P-H-E-R. And um, you'll see a tab to donate. It's the like first or second tab. You can't miss it. Um, we're on Cash App, Venmo, uh patreon the, the Patreon, any any way that you can send money digitally, you can get some money to us um and uh if that's something that is you're not able to do uh you can still subscribe we're on all podcasting platforms um 
we've gotten a lot of support from iHeartMedia in the podcasting space. So anybody that wants to download and, and listen and share uh, the content, that goes a long way too, especially if you can't donate. Um, and if that's a bit much, you don't have time or podcasts aren't your thing, or you can't catch us on a radio station in your city yet. Um, then, you know, we're on social media. You can check us out. I'm at Ramses Ja. Q is I am Q Ward. Uh, and either of us, you know, could use a, a kind word here and there. We do have trolls. We do have oh, people man. that threaten as, us. As you guys could imagine that part of it yeah. has not been fun. So, so anybody that wants to just, you know, drop a kind word here and there, you know, I'm at Ramses Ja on everything. And, uh, you know, the Instagram just, page is dope. I was just on their Instagram page. It's dope. So check it out. Q's um, page is dope. Q's <laughs> page looks like an art gallery. <laughs> My page is a little, it's getting there, but you know, we, we appreciate the, the, the big, the support, big support and little support. And, you know, if, if any of that stuff is too rich for you, just keep, you know, fighting a good fight, man. We'll, we'll end up where we're supposed to be. And no matter who you are, if you're listening to my voice today, I want you to know that, that we are your brothers and we are doing this for you. Um, even if you don't agree with uh, what we're doing, we love you anyway, and uh, we're going to try our best for you. So, yeah. Awesome. Again, hey, we've kept you for a long time. We might have to split this. This might be a two-part episode. Whatever it is, we so appreciate the incredible conversation today. We yeah. appreciate the work that you all are doing. Um, you know, as Lisette and I continue to do the podcast and some of the other things we're doing in the educational space, you know, I, we were hoping to be able to travel and, and work with schools across the country. So if we're ever in the Arizona area, Please know we're going to hit you up. We're going to buy you Let lunch. us know, please. You know, we're going to take care of you um, uh, because we appreciate you all giving us your time and energy today. Um, we, we do have a tradition um, just uh, that, that if, if you were to leave the listener with, uh, with just one thing as, as we part today, um, if there was one mm. thing you wanted the listener to walk away with today, go ahead and drop that on them and then... We will uh, let you go on with your afterwards. You know what mine hopefully, is. <laughs> hopefully, we'll have you back when you get to share some of the that you guys are got going in the works. For sure, I'll make sure that we that we reach out so you guys know what's going on. But um, one thing, love, man. You know, Ramses Ramses is teaching me this um, lead with love. Um, a lot of people know our names for something that's contrary to what we believe. Um, so mm -hmm. it's still black lives matter that way. Um, yeah. And, and if I, I have a microphone and an audience, uh, 100% of the time I do my best to leave them with an, I love you often and often enough, they just read it. And this is right here on my, my microphone arm. But, um, if I got to leave you with something, it's that, man, um, I'm, I, I have to be the change that I want to see. Right. So I'm going to put more love into the world and I'm going to start by saying, I love you. So, um, thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting and, you know, tap in with us, man, you know, help us, help us try to do something. We, we moving. So, so yeah. Hey, we love you too. We love you too. We love hey, you we're back. Thank you. So crazy when I say I love, it was like a slip, like, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Absolutely. For Black, Brown, and Bilingue, this is Maurice McDavid. Elisette Jacobson. Muchas gracias for tuning in.
If you liked this episode and would like to see more, check out these videos.